When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. Lindsay Jordan rose to cult fame as snail mail by amplifying the unscathed agony and ecstasy of an adolescent crush. Her 2018 debut album, Lush, vaulted the prodigal Baltimore then-teenager to near-instant indie stardom. Adjusting to life in the spotlight brought its difficulties, but none as harrowing as coming to terms with the fact that her outlook on love had been more than a little idealistic. But rather than building her walls up upon realizing this, Jordan took a sledgehammer to whatever barricades existed in the first place. Earlier this year, she traded her New York apartment for producer Brad Cook's North Carolina studio and wound up with a new album, Valentine, which dodges the idea that heartbreak can be neatly resolved. Instead, she aims straight for the tattered desire and fury and general malaise that lie in love's wake. A few days before Valentine's release, the fader's Salvatore Mackie caught up with Jordan to discuss its many emotional revelations, the pitfalls of being labelled as a queer artist, and the one snail mail conspiracy theory that irks her to no end. Lindsay Jordan. Sal Mackie. It's so good to have you here in the office, in person, talking Valentine. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course. It's been a minute. I mean, not too many minutes, but we haven't had the time to like properly sit down and, and catch up in a minute. So it's true. Yeah. It's been a wild few years, huh? Absolutely. It's probably been like the wildest few years of my entire life. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely has been. A really long time. It's cool to have you in New York City because I remember back in like the Lush days and before Lush days, we would talk about New York and you had such contempt for it. Right. And you were like, I will never live here. Fuck this place. And look at how far we've come. I know. Now I'm in like the center of it. Now you're judging dogs in Tompkins <laughs> Square Park. Yeah. I don't know. I Sometimes I still get jealous of my friends that like live anywhere with a tree. But I, and, and like sometimes I get into those wormholes, but then sometimes I'm like, it's amazing that I can just get a great cup of coffee right there's like little things like that, that yeah I'm just like it is nice to be able to do these niche little new york things and i'm kind of starting to, to like it yeah yeah what was the turning point well okay so probably moving to manhattan and probably living by myself yeah i think there's like something to decorating your own place and like having the autonomy 
to like clean or not clean because nobody's relying on me and like yeah i really love to use my kitchen and i love to go to the grocery store and like get my ingredients and, and to make things and that's mm -hmm. like one of the only places that i go i stay in my apartment like it's nobody's business which is funny sometimes i'm like i'm doing the new york thing wrong but it's kind of enough to just look out the window and be like look at that skyline you mm -hmm. know what i mean mm -hmm. and just yeah i have my little routine and, and i that yeah, I guess just having an apartment that I like and knowing what works for me has been formative yeah. in my New York experience. Yeah, I feel like you can't truly appreciate living in the city or the city is really not worth living in until you can feel like the pulse of it. Totally. And I think like where you are in the city and like, you know, the kind of like, I guess, access that you have to it now definitely opens that up. I love my neighborhood right now. You can really feel when it's Friday night, even if I don't know what day it is, mm -hmm. I, I go outside at night and I'm like, it's Friday, it must be Friday. Yeah. <laughs> I like the energy, even like, I, I have come to really like the weekends just because everyone else is excited, even though they don't really make a difference to me. Yeah. I love that my neighborhood is like always bustling. It makes me feel less lonely, but I choose actively. There's a ritual to, to it. Yeah, to, to be like alone. But then there's like people <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. So you settled into the city kind of when you were winding down the lush era. Kind of. Well, so I lived in Brooklyn for a minute, as you probably remember, in, in, in Bushwick. I didn't actually move to the city proper until December of last year. Okay. So my lease is about to be up. Yeah. So it's been a, a full year, coming on a full year in like the proper city. Yeah. But Bushwick and Brooklyn was kind of like the winding down from touring Lush. I moved to Brooklyn for the first time when I was 18, right after I graduated high school. Right. And then last. That was like Crown Heights yeah. or something. Yeah. And then my, my situation where I was living was just like not ideal. Um, yeah. And I left and went back to Maryland and then came back to New York permanently when I was 19, I guess. Talk me through, I guess, that era of like coming back to New York, being in Bushwick and, you know, you were kind of here, you were kind of still touring Lush. I, the Lush tour went on forever. Yeah, that was a distinct era. I mean, I, I feel like I was kind of experimenting with like everything that I missed out on, just being like, I'm living by myself. I can see my friends all the time. I can, I can like kind of just enjoy adult life for a little while before I have to start doing this again. So I, that is a lot of what happened with pushing off making another record is I was like, I just need to have some life experience because I don't want to write about tour. Um, so, right. so that time period was very much about pretending there wasn't something I had to be doing. Yeah. And, and it was actually super important to what ended up being on the record because I just I had a lot of life experience during that time. Well, when did you finally stop touring that album? Not until the end of 2019, I think, because we did like a victory lap tour, which was probably the most fun I've ever had on a tour. Cause it was like, you could really, you know, the, all the fruits of our labors were like totally just like right in front of us. Um, right. But then ending that tour was terrifying because that just meant I had to make another record and from scratch basically. Right. Cause I'd, I almost wrote nothing during those touring years. And you go from all of this noise and bustle and moving from place to place to silence. Totally. Was that jarring for you? It was horrible. I mean, having to start over from a place of being like, okay, so I'm an adult now and like people are obsessed with the music that I wrote by being like an innocent teenager, mm -hmm. which is weird. Cause I, yeah, so I, like, I was trying to so desperately to figure out what it was that people liked so much. And I just 
wasn't far enough away from the project to, to think about it like that. So I kind of just put it off until I really felt like I needed to make music in order to process my feelings. Yeah. I was like, it's become a coping technique again, which just means the songs are probably gonna be good. Right. I don't know how to get around that in the future. I don't think that's a great thing to lean on, but like I don't have a great formula for working because it feels like it's like a magical thing that happens when I get inspired and have enough energy to start and finish a song that I actually like. It'll be like several months between that happening and I just go one song at a time. Finishing the record was, I feel like I was pretty surprised that it even happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when it finally got done, I was like- It's kind of a blaze of glory. Yeah, I mean, every time I, write a song I'm like oh my god thank god because <laughs> it's just so random like when it happens and when it doesn't yeah. inspiration like has to strike and it's really that's the nature of writing right totally and if you choose to do it by yourself which I I'm not trying to work with any writers I'm not trying to have anybody in my space while I'm trying to think then it's just the most isolating thing ever being like it's kind of like up to me to like keep my career afloat and sometimes yeah. that's like a pretty harsh reality Totally. There's no one to kind of push you. It's really just, you know, trying to push yourself and push the words out. Right. And it's 90% just staring at the screen like, what the fuck is going on? 98. 98. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get into the record, I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, the Lush of it all. Like, I listened to Lush for the first time, like, in full very recently this week. It's been a minute. Oh, I thought you meant ever. No, like, no, no, fake. no, no. <laughs> Listen, how else did you expect me to live my 2018? Yeah. But I will say it is kind of staggering to listen to that record back now. Like, how did your relationship to those songs change in the years following? Because they're so of that time and mm -hmm. of like, you know, who you were at that time. Yeah. And that has obviously changed, but. It's super weird especially since we're playing them again on the tour coming up. So we've been practicing them, which is boring. Like, I'm like, who cares? <laughs> like, the next songs are better. Everyone cares, Everyone, you know? the thing is, everyone cares. It's funny because I remember the songs coming out and me being like, these are genius, and everyone being like, it's so, like, purely teenager. And I was like, no, no, it's like, it's ahead. It's a, I'm ahead of my time. Like, I'm, you know, I'm an adult. And now, like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, this is, like, super teenager. Which is just funny because I just... You know, every teenager thinks that they're like a prophet. And I definitely did after everyone told me I was. Mm. And then once I be, now I'm an adult and like looking at it from the perspective of like somebody who's like worked so much. I'm like talking, sometimes I just trap myself into talking into the third person. I worked so hard to like one up myself as a writer. It's really weird to look back at where I was sitting as as the person who wrote Lush. And it's just like, listening back is just like sad. So I'm like, oh man, I had this really positive outlook on <laughs> everything and, and love and life. And it was all just super idealistic, which is cool. I'm glad I have that memory. Yeah. Well, I think a lot <laughs> of people who were in your position and who were so hard-eyed and so just had like these like, like uh, optimistic visions of what like love was. I mean, listen back to Pristy and like, yeah. I'll never love anyone else. Like yeah. a lot of people would be hardened and build their walls from that, you know, yeah. from the first few heartbreaks. But what I'm so fascinated by in Valentine is it seems and feels like you took 
the complete other route and just went totally like you just fully embraced no this is who I am and this is how I feel yeah I I mean there's definitely softy representation on there when I'm singing about like the certain instances that I'm singing about on the record I think it was my lush fulfillment time a lot of the, the relationships that I'm singing about and stuff like were me putting that lush like outlook on love because it is my it was my real outlook on love like into practice and then there's like angry songs and and disappointed songs yeah like disillusioned songs where i'm realizing that idealism is harmful to everybody involved yeah which is horrible because it's it's beautiful too like to, to to want like love to be how you imagine it and all that stuff but at the end of the day there's so many songs on valentine where i'm just being like oops Love is not between a person and a concept, you know, it, it's it's between a human and a human, which just creates ugliness. Yeah. And there's a lot of disappointment in that, yeah. I think, and then it's like on the record. Yeah. And I'm actively processing it while I'm like writing these songs. And I kind of think all the stages of grief are on there too, just like without even realizing it. Absolutely. Somebody told me that and I was like, true. Yeah. yeah. And something about like Lush was, you know, there was like this devastated crushing about it you know but there was resolve to that and on valentine i feel like there isn't the same resolve and it's learning that yeah these things don't form perfect circles right i mean any kind of acceptance that's represented on the record is like forced acceptance and that just makes it sad like mia there's acceptance you can't see on the podcast but i'm doing air quotes there's acceptance like Cause I'm like, okay, like obviously I have to grow up. I don't get to just stay with this person. That's not how everything works. Like it doesn't work how you imagine it because life is like harsh, but I'm not necessarily being like excited to live with that information. I'm just, it's what has to happen, you know? And there's a couple moments like that. I think see at all is kind of like that too. It's a little bit crushing, but maybe because it's real. Yeah. I'm also really compelled by how you use your voice as an instrument on this record compared to the first, because it has shifted, it's changed. And I think that it's beautiful. One of my favorite songs, maybe my favorite song on the record, Forever Sailing. Half of the song is this blissful, synthy 80s prom song vibe, but your voice is almost contradicting that and it's devastated and it's like broken and how you're utilizing your voice on this record. I'm just, I'm fascinated by it. And I'm curious, like, was that like a, you know, conscious decision to, I guess, maybe change the intonation? Is that just in my head or was that something that you guys kind of planned for? I think it has been a process with all the touring that was happening. I was like definitely conscious of it and it's much easier to like feed into the general emotion of the crowd when you can like tell what's going on mm-hmm. and I got I definitely became quite the showman of uh like feeding off of that pure sadness yeah because it is like infectious in like at a snail mail show yeah you know and and that definitely a, a lot of those dynamics became inherent there's also an element of I sang all the songs like a million different ways and then we went through and like chose based on the takes yeah like what goes where I am definitely in the process of like dealing with the fact that my voice has gotten lower. I'm always like, do I have polyps? I have an ear, nose and throat appointment soon. And I'm like, why has it gotten so low, like hoarse? And I guess it's just like, yeah, it's instinctual because I've been practicing the like theatrics of it for so many years. 
so in the studio, I wasn't like, all right, this is going to be really sad. But like, I think I'm good at feeling fully in the song when I sing it, which definitely brings dynamics. And like when you hear something and it sounds sad, it's just because I totally am sad when I'm singing right. it, you know, <laughs> or like gentle and loving because I'm like totally thinking about that. Well, I love it. I feel like it's like kind of like the salt in the sugar dish of this record. Um, you know, it has those beautiful synthy grooves to it, but also, and, and I feel like tonally this kind of stretches out throughout the right beyond your voice. Almost every time you settle into the groove or start to, it kind of takes a left turn. Mm. And I am so compelled by that. And that idea of when you start to think something is going one way, it doesn't. Yeah. I feel like that is like a, a kind of like a running thing throughout this record that, I don't know, I just really appreciate. Thank you for noticing that. Yeah. I think being like a not a not predictable writer is like important to me. Like I definitely want to make melodies that are like obviously catchy and pop minded, but still you don't know what's going to happen next. So that those are the songs that I appreciate the most. Like when you hear a melody and you're drawn to it because it's catchy, but oftentimes I, I find that like, the further you go into the catchy realm, the easier it is to just reuse melodies because they're infectious. Like if usually if it comes to you naturally and quickly, it's because it's like infectious and catchy, but I definitely wanted to make sure that all of my melodies were unpredictable. That's definitely important to me. Absolutely. And you definitely get that in this. I yes. think it, and it, it's what makes you come back for more of the record. Where did the concept of Valentine initially start? The record or this the I guess title? Both. So, I mean, over those dry years where I wasn't necessarily making a lot of music, I had a couple songs that I was actively working on that entire time, kind of just like on and off. Um, and before I started to like really get going, I kind of was discouraged because I didn't feel like there was an album coming together. I was like, these are, there are a bunch of like snail mail B-sides coming together. Cause right. yeah, I was in a rut for sure. And then, as soon as like the pandemic started and I started getting really sad and busy and wanting to like cope and process actively by like doing my own passion thing, mm -hmm. then the song started to come really quickly and naturally. And I like sat down and in the course of like two months had Valentine, Automate, Madonna, Glory, Light, Blue, Mia, See at All and um, Headlock, which really like Glory, See at All, Mia and Light Blue, I already kind of had before that but those other ones like it just I was like it's almost like it takes like writing at least one single I think for me to start feeling like I'm secure enough to start thinking about an album because it's just like those are the, the catchy ones are the hard ones to write and like yeah. you don't always necessarily know that they're gonna be the ones that like come up in your head right I was super focused on like making songs as I felt like I feel like making a ballad so I'm gonna make a ballad and then trying to make sure they all work together as like one cohesive thing it felt like it was all part of like one universe and then the name valentine didn't used to be called valentine it was adore you it was a demo and i got into the studio and the engineer that i was working with at the time was like this song just doesn't have a chorus and i didn't notice that because i was in my room like working on it constantly and i was like cool okay so i'm gonna go make a chorus i'll come back and immediately the lyrics and the melody came to me and then i was like damn valentine is just the most I can't think of something more like painful and snail mail like centric. It's this like innocent phrase that we automatically connect 
to childhood and, and first crushes and like sweetness. And this record being so deeply disillusioned and real and old compared to the, the last one. Like mm. there's something about that that makes it really heartbreaking. And there's also something inherently very heartbreaking about calling somebody that you're not even talking to anymore your valentine like you know i'm singing about somebody who was my actual valentine like that sucks yeah and i love you know that's my, my favorite holiday i do it up so like is it really it, yeah how do you do it up <laughs> just do it up <laughs> i go in balloons yeah. chocolate yeah. stuffed animals like you know i don't know i i kind of had just done it up like it, it was like it was fresh it was had just been valentine's day i was Got like it. oh man all right it was like hot on my mind as just being like i think it's a super apt name for the record fuck being remembered i think i was made for you so i do wanna Yeah, but that is hard, you know, what you're just saying about singing about someone who was your Valentine. These lyrics are barbed. Nothing is left unsaid on this record. That being said, you also have a more perceptive and engaged audience this time around. How did you reckon with what you are putting out into the world versus last time when people didn't really know who Lindsay was? I kind of feel like... I have to go even more above and beyond now, which is a good, I mean, here we are with a record that I think is above and beyond. And I was so very much a teenager and doing teenager stuff all the time. And, and now it feels like now that if I wanna present myself as somebody that's a serious artist, I don't wanna do any teenager stuff and I don't wanna be like regarded as a teenager. I just wanna be like regarded for my most recent work. It was just really about making the presentation mature and concise. And then for like the super revealing intimate lyricism, I mean, that's a giant question mark. I think when I, whenever I was choosing how far I was willing to go in any of the songs, it was kind of a toss up. Cause I was like, I can, you know, Ben Franklin, I get a little ugly on that one. And I'm like, I haven't fully seen the consequences of that, but I know that I'm talking about things that are tricky and like, I'm putting out a version of myself that isn't necessarily flattering all the time, which I think is important in like making honest art. So I kind of felt like to make the music exactly where I wanted it to be, I had to just pretend like no one was gonna hear it. Because yeah, I mean on Lush I didn't even use any female pronouns because I wasn't like all the way out like that. Right. So I was like, well, I don't want, you know, like I don't want everybody to know I'm gay. So like that being my boundary for that record compared to this one, like I stretched it out a ton. But yeah. then I cope with that by, I'm only willing to go so far in the songs and that's my line. So in the interviews, when there's like moments that go too deep, I'm just like, well, I set up the fence 
that's as far as I'll go. You right. know, and, and that's how I responsibly try to like deal with being a, a really personal lyricist. Yeah. It's just by being like, I gave everybody a lot of information in the songs. So that's that, you know? Yeah. And there were definitely moments where I was like, I probably shouldn't say that. I don't know. I, I definitely scaled it back. The demos are even crazier at moments. And like just finding that sweet spot is such a personal experience that no one can help you with. Yeah. I feel like when Lush came out too, like we were still in like this cultural space where if you were to be completely open about your queerness at that point, it would have been like, listen to this queer musician who's breaking boundaries by being queer and existing. But now like we can, like there is just an existence and an acceptance to it in a different way. Um, And that's kind of cool, I think. All of the identity stuff is infuriating yes. because, or at least the identity stuff that I have put on my desk, right. you know, like, it's, because it's just, things are always spun with identity. And it's like, sometimes I don't necessarily like want to be a spokesperson, but I just can't help but go off. It's always like woman this, gay this, and it's like, it would be awesome to just be like, a songwriter. I'm happy to be a beacon of representation for others. I just wish it wasn't the first thing sometimes. Right. You know? Yeah. Because it is that the culture is changing and that's an yeah. amazing thing. But at least for me personally, like paying more attention to that than the actual music, I feel like it's belittling my identity. Absolutely. And just making it a tagline. Yeah. A headline, whatever. Like we don't need a preface. No, I don't think that we do. Right. North Carolina. Yes. That's where you recorded the record. How'd you end up there? Brad Cook, who was the co-producer of the record with me, was someone that I just knew from like being around. He was like, he's always at stuff. And I was like, I knew him to be like a a really cool guy. Uh, And I was a big fan of his work. Grew up on so much Bon Iver and I love Whitney and Waxahachie and stuff. So, And I had only heard like amazing things about working with him. And I was kind of at a point where I just like needed somebody who already respected me that I wasn't like, I knew I wouldn't have to show up as anything other than myself and, and have respect and stuff like that. Um, and, and have like acceptance and encouragement. I just, everybody who's ever worked with him is like, he's such a sweet guy and he's, yeah, he's just like so artist friendly and so like woman friendly and like, just like a great dude all around. And I ended up taking the leap and being like, cool, I'm just gonna try to make a couple songs with him. I loved working with him and we ended up finishing up like what we had from my demos and putting them into like a real record. Pretty much all all of it was getting done there. And then forever, I wanted more time on. I started that at Brad's house and then he like wouldn't help me with it, which was really sweet. He basically was just like, you got it. Like, I don't want my name on any of the like writer stuff. So you should just go finish it yourself. And I was like, true, I don't, you know, and that, but I was running short on time. So I was like, like, that's healthy. And he was like, no, like go finish it. So I was in his guest room, just shredding my way through that song. And by the time we were out of studio time, I realized I wanted more time to like edit and stuff. So I did most of it in my apartment for forever. Look at what we did That was so real 
How did you land on that synthy little bit? It's a sample, like a sliver of a sample underneath the chorus by this pop star from the 80s, I guess, late 70s, a Swedish woman, Madeline Kane, and the song's called You and I. And the rest of the song, I just built around this sample. What song are you the most proud of on this record? It's gotta be tied between that one and Automate for me. Automate is a stunner. Thank you. Yeah. I really hope that one doesn't go underrated, underappreciated and underrated. No, I think it's like the perfect penultimate like moment. It's the moment. It yeah. is. Yeah. It's really getting everybody ready for that final track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it feels like, like kind of like a come to Jesus moment in a way. What did you learn about yourself by writing a song like Automate? That song out of all of them on the record, maybe other than like Headlock, there's like the most room for the most syllables. So I got to be really wordy and then ended up taking almost a year on the lyrics because I was like, I can't take this opportunity lightly to be wordy. So if I'm gonna be wordy, like I'm gonna be very intentional with all my words and little moments of like re repetition. Anytime anything gets repeated on that song it's because it's important. The ending is my favorite thing I've ever written. Like the bridge where the time signature thing kind of changes and the style of the song kind of changes and I just learned how much I like being a lyricist and kind of like what is the best means of working for me. And, and it's a lot of trial and error. Yeah. So much trial and error. I wrote and rewrote those lyrics so many times. There's so many versions of it. There's like nine. Do you have a favorite line? Probably, um, when the party gone into my room, tried life without you, but you in that green sweater, what? Maybe, I mean, I'm like your dog is pretty sad there at the end, but then also like, oh man, it's like I'm living in a pastor and it's 13 days after, but it still feels like I'm cheating. It's real, 13 days. You know, I'm like talking about something that literally was happening and I'm just like, I can picture like being like in some room, like kissing somebody and in my head being like, damn, like I feel like a jerk. I feel like I'm betraying this person that like, yeah, and that is just so visceral. I'm like, I fully remember the moment that inspired that. Yeah, still raw, still yeah, fresh. It is. That one, I listen to the album sometimes, like, especially like before I go into like a long day of press or something, just to remind myself and also just to like bathe in how proud I am of it. And that song almost always makes me cry, even all this time later. You have a very particular fan base they love you mm -hmm. and they are going to feast yeah. when this comes out they're hungies yeah are you ready for <laughs> are you ready for how this is about to be perceived <laughs> no i mean no i'm always scared i don't know what's gonna happen i think all my expectations for how the layout was gonna happen are it's going it's everything's moving so quickly because it's a really short album cycle so i haven't really figured out how people are even reacting to the singles yet. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know even how to see until we start playing shows. Did you get to play it for your dad yet? Yeah, he cried. Aw. He loves the record. I love that. Yeah. Your dad's so good. He's a good guy. I've never actually met Lindsay's dad for clarification, <laughs> but I remember like it was a big moment for you playing Lush for him for the first time. Yeah, he cried. It's good when my dad cries. It's a good sign that the record's good. Yeah, it's a big old softy. Yeah, yeah. We all went to, out to dinner in Maryland with like the parents and my girlfriend, and he was wearing a snail mail T-shirt like to celebrate Valentine, the song coming out. It was really cute. That's precious. It's really cute. Are you ready to like 
take the show on the road again and like re-enter this nomadic state where you're just never in the same place for for more than 24 hours i mean i don't know it's coming up way faster than i thought i'm actually pretty confused about how my next couple weeks are but i might you know like everybody in the band like we're all family basically so it, at least everyone's scared and alex our racist like i talk to him on the phone every single day and it's just gonna be that but in real life i can't wait till we're on a bus and i'm gonna pick the bunk right above his and just poke <laughs> pester him that is like my favorite are we there thing yet are we there yet are, are we, we there, yet? there yet i think that's like probably my favorite thing to do so <laughs> that's like closer to home than me than like for me than like being actually in my home so I'm sure I don't feel super, like, very natural. So you've got Ray, you've got Alex, uh, Ray, you've got Maddie. Maddie. Yeah, Lisa. We Lisa. always have the same tour manager, Amy, same sound person. Squad up. Jesse, same other sound person. It's pretty much the same crew as always. There's, like, one new member of the band. Hey, who? But this guy, Ben, he's awesome. He's, he's like, an amazing guitar player. Oh, incredible. And keyboard players. So now we have two keyboard guitarists on either side. Ooh. Yeah. See, Things about to get real synthy. You already know it's gonna be the freaking synth storm out there. I love that. Me too. I need that. Yeah. No, no. Me too. I'm really excited. Yeah. And you have an arsenal of tracks now. You're not just you know confined to one record. It is really nice. Like we're playing like almost all of Valentine. I think maybe except for one song. It is funny because they're all really short. How much of Lush we're gonna have to play. Like, cause, cause we were all like, oh my God, cool. Like we can just, we're gonna like, we're gonna just like only play new songs. And then we like timed it and we were like, so we just we kind it. of have to play all of Lush too, which is funny. Um, But, but it is nice that I can like, in a way, put mostly hits on there. There's nothing worse than like playing an outdoor festival and playing like a slow song. Right. And just watching people walk away. What was the first, <laughs> I am curious, what was the first Lush song to get axed where you were like, no, not going there. Anytime. Got okay. axed immediately. Yeah. Because I just, I just was so tired of watching people, like watching people who hadn't heard the band like walk away. Oh. <laughs> the first time. <laughs> it's sad. the outdoor festival like sad song thing. It's like maybe that's why I made a pop record. Yeah. Because I was tired of being walked away from. Oh. <laughs> Anything else that you want to talk about that you haven't been able to talk about on this long and never-ending press cycle? You know what? I always want to say something about, but I have no platform to people's conspiracy theories Which about ones? snail mail drive me absolutely insane. What are they? Well, there's a, there's a greater narrative that happened um, a couple months ago or whenever, like during the pandemic, people started to be like, her label is not allowing her to put out music. Oh. And like being like, you know, Free Lindsay. Free Lindsay. I've heard <laughs> so, much, so much about this. I hold myself back from releasing music. No one else. I, mean, I choose to not use Instagram. I'm an adult woman. I do what I want. Nothing happens with snail mail without my okay. Period. That's my statement that I wanted to make. Let the record show. Let it show. You heard it here first. That's right. All right. Lindsay, <laughs> thank you so much for swinging by. I have loved this and I can't wait for the world to hear Valentine. It's Thanks, happening. Sam. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you and good night. That was Lindsay Jordan talking to the fader Salvatore Mackey. Snail Mail's new album, Valentine, is out this Friday, November 5th, via Matador. Our engineer is Tony Giambroni, and our associate producer is Salvatore Mackey. 
We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. Remember to follow The Fader interview wherever you listen to podcasts. And keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Fader interview. Goodbye until then.